Good evening and welcome to episode 72, episode 72 of the Political Mike podcast. We've got so much going on this week. It's a very cr- crucial week. Longtime Trump ally and right wing firebrand Stephen Bannon uh, faces state charges in a charity fund case after a Trump pardon left him, let him evade federal charges. The Justice Department is currently seeking to overturn a federal judge's ruling that blocked investigators from reviewing a range of highly sensitive documents seized from former President Donald Trump's estate. The GOP is trying to flip the governorships in New York, I'm sorry, New Mexico and Oregon, even as Democrats' Midwestern battleground governors run ahead in the polls. And we're now in the dawn of a new era um, as England's longest serving monarch, Queen Elizabeth II, um, has died, um, leaving her son, Charles III, to become the next king. Um, And it also comes at a time when England has now a new prime minister, Liz Trouse, the third female to take the position um, who was leading the conservative party. I'm going to be joined by some very interesting guests. We have Mr. Nwangpa, who's going to be joining uh, soon. Uh, Mr. Egwin Nwangpa is currently a vice president at one of the largest financial services institutions in the world. We're going to be fortunate enough to have Mr. Nwangpa's insight uh, shortly. I'm also going to be joined by Mr. Reginald Hubbard, uh, whose career path has surely been non-traditional, and that has suited him just fine. He was the first person in his family to attend college. He received a BA in philosophy from Yale University, uh, which changed his life profoundly, literally opening up to him a world of possibilities he never could have imagined. It's going to be a privilege and honor to have Mr. Hubbard join. And then, of course, we have Professor Fred Cook, who is no stranger to the political mic. Uh, who serves as an adjunct professor at Howard University School of Law um, and has been a member of the Washington, D.C. Bar for a number of years and currently is practicing in that area. So I'm so glad to have you on, gentlemen. Um, And of course, you know, there's a lot that's happened this week. Recently, the death of Queen Elizabeth, we'll get to that shortly. But I do want to jump on first. The Department of Justice apparent setback in the Mar-a-Lago probe, uh, which seems to be a profound one. Uh, The Justice Department is currently seeking to overturn a federal judge's ruling that blocked investigators from reviewing a range of highly sensitive documents seized from former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. Prosecutors said in a new court filing that the U.S. District Court Judge um, Aline Cannon's decision to temporarily halt the FBI's ability to probe the ex-president's handling and storage of classified materials would cause irreparable harm, irreparable harm to efforts by the intelligence community to protect national security interests. I do want to get your thoughts on that. You know, I, I thought about a quote by the Danish theologian uh, Soren uh, Kierkegaard, which is, there are two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true. The other is to refuse to believe what is true. In this case, it seems abundantly clear that President Trump or former President Trump has um, violated the Espionage Act. He has yet again crossed another line um, and is seem, seemingly to get his way once more with the granting of his request for a special master. Do you believe that the, the, the granting of that request was a mistake in your view um, in light of the fact that it seems like a third party would end up looking at the documents anyway? Well, you know, I'll, I'll do the lawyer thing. Um, the opinion of the decision of the judges is insane. It's legally incomprehensible. There is no way for a criminal defendant or a suspect 
uh, of a crime, who is accused of stealing property of another, to argue that they have some property interest in the in the property that should halt the investigation of whether they stole it or not. It's insane. The former president doesn't own any government property. Whether he gets charged, whether he gets convicted is down the road. This is not the point at which you intervene, stop the investigation to figure out what he owns or what he doesn't own. It's just nonsense. So, um, you know, I think that the uh, Justice Department's decision today to ask the judge to reconsider her order and uh, to lay out the reasons why and to weigh the, the national security interest against the uh, relatively minor potential interest of a potential criminal defendant raises a lot of good points. They give her until the 15th of September to uh, modify her order or they'll go to the 11th Circuit. You know, huge risk because you never know, you know, what courts will do. Uh, so, um, but I, I just think they had to do it because this, this, this really makes no sense. This is just a very, very poorly reasoned and written opinion. Um, but you know, there's 1100, almost 1200 federal judges in the United States. And it's a mistake to think that they're all equally competent. Some of them are really good and some of them aren't. This one happened to be one of them that's not. And the fact that they keep raising this executive privilege argument as if it has some validity to it, uh, to me, um, I'm wondering if that's desensitizing those who are in the legal community to the fact that only the current uh, executive, chief executive of the president of the United States has such privilege. Uh, we, you know, Even in the Clinton versus Jones case, you had a situation where the court said that, a, that the president of the United States can only be subject to civil suits while they're not in the capacity of, or acting in the capacity of president of the United States. Um, and the reason for that was that they wanted the president to focus on the matters at hand with the, the job, being that it's so crucial to the preservation of national security. Now, we're talking about someone here who has no, no longer um, any influence uh, on the direction of the chain of command or national security itself, being that he's no longer the president, yet he's raising the, the, the defense that these classified documents fall within his privilege of, or executive privilege. Mr. Alpha. Yeah, I think it's, it's a mistake, number one, um, for them to allow, or when I say them, the judge, to allow themselves to be viewed as partisan, right? Because when they make such a ruling outside the bounds of anything that you've ever seen, um, when you even have people on the Republican um, side of the aisle, either quiet or they're saying, I don't, I don't, I don't know about that one. That's kind of a weak. That should. That's a very loud signal that it's, it's something that won't bode well in the future. Um, and, and the appeal should go through. But you know, I think uh, it's a stall tactic uh, on the other end, and I think that's what they wanted, and that's what they're getting. You know, the the, the whole point and goal has always been to win the House at least back in the midterm. Um, and then, you know, get rid of some of these or scuttle some of these investigations. And I think um, that's what, what what's going to happen. Mr. Hubbard. Yeah, I can't speak to the legal stuff, but I can just say that um, 
I'm just happy to see the process in motion, you know, for four years or so, um, the process, um, all processes um, related to the functioning of a government were thwarted by Donald Trump. And if he wants to, like, stay, stay this, stay that, that's cool. But, you know, my philosophical and spiritual orientation knows that the truth always comes out, brothers, you can delay and deny all you want, homie, but like, you're gonna get you're gonna get something. You may not get what I want you to get, but you're gonna get something. You can delay and deny all you want. Um, but the sun always shines, especially when you have been leading us into darkness. So uh, I can't speak to the legality. I can I can speak to the seeming malfeasance of it because it just doesn't smell right. Um, and whether it was a mistake or not, that charges are being that this process is in motion. Um, as someone who worked like his soul out to impeach Donald Trump the first time. I'm just happy there's some measure of accountability in the system he has like gone like this to forever. So it may not be to my liking, but something is working against him after years of him bucking the system. Yeah, and the, the question that I have, and I think a lot of people have is, what is the point of even going through the process of asking for a special uh, master? Are they gonna find anything that exonerates Trump or? or kind of provides any legitimacy to keeping the documents at Mar-a-Lago. I don't, I mean, th there is no legitimate reason for that. And the role of the special master is really to report on the activities of, of the entity being supervised in, in a timely manner to the judge uh, to ensure, you know, that this, that both sides have a neutral party to ensure that there's no kind of partiality skewed towards one party or the other. But in this case, the facts just are diametrically opposed to Trump's interests in this in this situation. So I don't even know what the purpose is of even bringing up an, an, a special master. Mr. Yeah, I think I think the special master does one major thing, and it sows the seeds of doubt, right? I think that's one of the major games that um, they've been playing the whole time. Um, if, if you go back to 2016, even. Where it's 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 about sowing doubt in people's mind. The special master is going to make sure that they're not putting something in there that wasn't there, right? The special master is going to make sure that they're not going to rig the system, right? So they want their own person in the room, and it says something that the justice department um, to everyone else that the justice department maybe we can't trust the justice department, right? Because they're spiking the ball. They're they're. They're spiking the punch behind closed doors. They're they're putting some there's some something in there that wasn't there, you know. Um, almost like the uh, the O.J. Simpson defense with with the glove and, and not fitting, you know. Something something something's amiss. Something is wrong. Something's wrong with the process, you know. Um, and, and and hoping that they'll win the jury of life like that also. And and the thing that I noticed about what you said is that the argument is not even about the content of whether or not it was right or wrong. Right. It's more about the procedure. So it is now not even about the, the, the merits of the of his case. Now we're talking about whether or not he's getting due process because of the special master, whether or not there are other uh, entities at play. The deep state is coming in using the legal system to attack him. And, and that's the, the the goal or the only the end all be all is the fact that if you make it look like an unfair process, if you complain enough, then um, no one can um, really well, the, the, the legitimacy of the DOJ is eroded away. So in this case, I'm wondering if granting him the request was actually a benefit for the Biden Justice Department. No, I mean, I, look, I, I think that um, Mr. 
Trump uh, and his supporters, um, the, the active and inactive ones, what they're doing is is really fundamentally very corrosive to to democracy and to to sort of um, a civil society. Uh, what what they're saying at bottom is you cannot prosecute Donald Trump legitimately because he is above that. He is some sort of sacred person that is beyond criticism, prosecution for his behavior. And you're right, they're spending a lot of time talking about process because nobody can rationally defend the substance of what he's accused of in this particular instance. There is no rational explanation for a former president of the United States to have classified documents in his possession. There is none, period, full stop. There just isn't one. Uh, Marco Rubio yesterday or the day before tried to argue that this whole thing was just an issue about the custody, uh, the storage of documents, which is insane to say for a man who's a lawyer and a United States Senator and wants to be taken seriously as a national level legislator. You can't do this, but they don't wanna talk about the substance. They wanna talk about how the system is tilted by people who spent their entire time in office during the Trump administration, tilting the system to bend to his perverse view of what government, what justice, what the Republic ought to look like. So, you know, we can play this game with him for a while, uh, the question uh, that I think really needs to be asked is sort of to what end and are the forces on the other side, do they actually have the stomach to fight this fight to the end, whatever that end is? Because the end may be prosecuting Donald Trump and living with the consequences of that, because there will be consequences to prosecuting him. I, I, don't, I don't have any doubt about that. There will also be consequences of not prosecuting. And, and so the question is, are the people who get to make the decision Merrick Garland and, and, and the people in the Justice Department, I hope it's it's them and not some other people. Do they have the, the fortitude to fight the fight that needs to be done? Because the fight needs to be had. Uh, because this is th th this is kind of a, a, a critical stage for democracy's continued development, at least in this country. Uh, and, and actually around the world, because other people, as we know, are looking at this and going, Really? This is the land of the free, the home of the brave? This this is democracy in action? What kind of lunacy is this? Why do I want to sign on for that foolishness? You know, why, why are they criticizing me? So, but these guys don't care about any of that. What they care about is winning, however they define winning for the moment, and getting their way. And it's, it's really, really corrosive to uh, the continuation of the democracy that has existed in this country for most of the, the history of this country. Yeah. And Marco Rubio was the head of the or is the head of the in well was the head of the intel committee in the united states senate so this is someone who is well acquainted with how sensitive uh you know a lot of national security documents are and how they should be handled i was thinking about hillary clinton this week um former secretary of state of course during obama's first term who took to the view and and, and you know she's of course promoting uh, a, a new um i guess series that she's doing with her daughter but when asked about her thoughts on what's been going on, the, the arguments being made by the Trump legal team and, and just the whole FBI search itself, she was like, I don't even know how this happened. Because when I was secretary of state and there were sensitive documents that I had to deal with, 
a gentleman came with his hand chained to the briefcase, chained. <laughs> and the only re the only way the, the 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 documents came out is that is when the key was placed in the uh, lock and opened up, and then when she was done looking at the sensitive material, it went back with the gentleman who was still chained to the case. So that inside, you know, you've heard lock her up. You've heard chants from the, the, the same people who are now saying, leave them alone. And then where we've seen for about how many, how long has it been since 2015? So um, that's almost eight years, right? Eight years of Republicans rationalizing their way further and further and further from any kind of, of principle, any kind of, of, of standard, whether it be legal or political or just out of pure good faith. Um, or tradition, you know, just just out of any of, of those norms. And now we're in a situation where they're still defending him to this to the T for something that's indefensible. And the thing is, they're not defending him on the grounds. You're not even hearing Lindsey Graham say, you know, he had a right to have those documents. No one's saying that. <laughs> no one's saying that this is a man who should have had the documents for whatever reason. And if they do say it, what is the reason that he needs to have these documents? And it's it's on full display. And, and I think that the January 6th committee hearings that are going to be coming up again before the election um, are going to be so crucial to airing out more of, 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 of how blatant the rule of law has been stepped on, rolled over, and just completely disregarded. Of course, that's in a different matter, but there's a common theme here. Mr. Hubbard, you're going to say something? I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, if it can be said this way, the only positive thing is it is the former president. You know what I mean? So like it's it, it's not it's not on the front page as much anymore. You know, what I mean, this I mean, again, as someone who was like in the on the hill and like in, in the heart of the resistance against this guy, um, it's not that I've given up on his supporters because I don't, I'm too yogic and Buddhist for that. But like. They're more of us that believe our way than them. And I'm also an organizer. So I honestly don't give a damn um, what he's arguing about. It's about us putting a worldview out there that's consistent with what we believe and stop talking about his triumph behind. Like, you know, like you lost and blessings upon your sh shenanigans, but we ain't playing this game no more. You know what I mean? That That's the, the circles I roll in. That's kind of where we are, where it's, it's not that we don't, it's not that we don't see and condone what has happened. It's that like, okay, um, we have a midterm to win. We have a majority to keep in the Senate and the House to like keep this bridge of, because Demond, I don't think the American people understand how perilous the Trump administration was with respect to how like democracy was this close to being like for real gone and autocracy and white supremacy as for real rule of law almost became the standard in the United States, not like some back channel stuff. So while he is, he can argue in the legal system all he wants. I'm just not as, so long as he does not have the standing that he once did, that's all I really care about. Yeah, and I, and I do want to uh, play a small clip, Mr. Hubbard, and actually you're featured in it. Um, the documentary that came out wow. this year from PBS Frontline, uh, though it's very brief, Sure. Um, is he going to get any copyright benefit out of it? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> right? You, you know, when we're talking about all of the all of what was stomached and tolerated, uh, the deals, the rationalization, 
that led up to this moment. Um, a lot of people say that, well, the Democrats are parts of, you know, to blame for this because if they had not rushed the first impeachment process, um, if Biden didn't come out and make such a divisive speech last week, um, if they weren't so much after him, maybe there would have been more of a legitimate um, uh, response from the right, from respected voices on the Republican side, so that their public opinion could be or could, could take the, the, the accusations more seriously. I want to play this small clip. To figure out what their position would be outside of simply opposing Donald Trump. What it means to have a president stained by racism. The president of the United States is racist. And into that vacuum came a kind of perpetual outrage system of the hyper examination of everything that he did you can stop him. He's the president of the United States. We can, and we have to. Our job is making sure that Donald Trump is a one-term president. The only thing that we can do is to start that impeachment inquiry. We must open an impeachment inquiry. Impeachment. 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 Today I say impeach 45! Because we're going to go in there, we're going to impeach the mother... It became a partisan media maelstrom. Trump derangement syndrome. They're only... Now, <laughs> Mr. Hubbard, you, you were featured in that moment. I, I, did, did, I hope everyone got to see him a little bit. But uh, Representative um, um, uh, uh, yes, Tlaib passed over the mic uh, to Mr. Hubbard. Of course, that was your party. Yeah. Was place. <laughs> share, share your thoughts about what was going on in your mind at that moment. And if you could touch on the accusations that if Democrats were not so uh, hungry to go after Trump for partisan reasons, maybe we would have more respected right-wing traditional folks um, actually come to, this, to the aid of Democrats in condemning a lot of the behavior and the trampling upon the rule of law that we've seen um, during this time. Well, the first question in that moment, I was I basically, I whispered in Rashida's ears, like, you know, we melted the internet, right? And um, then um, it was like, okay, so party lasts 11 o'clock, tip your server, hooray democracy and strong women. So like, like in that moment, I was just like, okay, I think we just had a really epic moment and this, uh, this bottom line out of my budget. Awesome. <laughs> Whoa. Um, so uh, also I was very happy to have been like a yogic and Buddhist practitioner because meditation prepares you when stuff like that happens. You're just kind of like, oh man, that just happened. Whew, okay. So like it, that, but with respect to the Trump derangement syndrome, first of all, that's gaslighting because he's deranged calling somebody else deranged and his people deranged. You know, look, um, saying if we had just waited is like me as a black dude waiting for white people to wake up about racism. You know what I mean? Like, please, like, like you can say what you say. Um, if we had gone slower and worked with you, we weren't going to get the votes. We tried. You know what I mean? And we, when we saw that we weren't going to get the votes, we pushed for accountability. Having said that, with across the movement, um, I was one of the key people who reached out to like um, Evan McMullen and, and folks on the far, far right. I remember I called Evan, Evan McMullen's people. I was like, look, we're producing this impeachment rally. You don't agree with this guy either. Um, you want to come speak at this rally? And um, at first they're like, we'll get back to you. But guess what? He came because it was really important for me as one of the strategists that it be at some level bipartisan. So like having Evan McMullen and his group 
um, of far right folks um, with the move ons and the Center for Popular Democracy folks on the same dais, um, the day before the day of the impeachment vote, that was important. So we did do our due diligence and did get some support. Um, from the movement that just didn't translate into the votes. And, you know, the people in the House and the Senate had proven their complicit nature in supporting the president. So we weren't going to wait for them. And plus, the last thing I'll say is as a grassroots activist to wait for people in power to wake up to what the people need. I don't believe that ever. Yeah, I I, I got to agree with you, dear. And I'll even take it a step further. When after January 6th, where the Republicans themselves said, if this is not an impeachable offense, I don't know what is. And then they turn around and all voted against it. it right. So it, I don't I, I think it's all I think, you know, really and truly, uh, I, and I've said this before on this show, I think Donald Trump squandered an awesome opportunity in U.S. politics um, where he could have come in and been less bombastic. He could have come in and walked back, not not retreated, but walked back some of the things he said um, negative about people um, because some people moved past it. He, he got a very large percent of the Hispanic vote and Latino vote being regarding what he said prior to 2016, right? So he had a really big opportunity where he could have, you know, just been just a little taken a little off and he probably you know would have been unstoppable even with 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 um coronavirus and all that stuff so we have to really think about the fact that he wasted opportunity the second thing is there's, there's they were going to were the democrats itching to uh, uh, impeach trump yeah because of what he said before he got elected what he said immediately after he got elected and what he did while he was elected official he violated all the norms of the office that you've seen in a republic that's over 200 years right so you're going to you're going to see people trying to get him out of there um but he gave them good reason to because there's the first impeachment trial uh i think everyone would admit that if any other president did exactly that I'm talking about even uh, the blessed um, and almost holy Ronald Reagan. They would have impeached him for that. So I, I think I think all the the complaints about people being after Trump were just politics talking. And the last thing I'll say is Marco Rubio's words. I always like Marco Rubio because I think he he, he uh, you know he had all the makings of a great politician, but seems to get in his own way every time. If he was up by ten points to Val Demings, he doesn't make that 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 comment, right? It's a close election. Yeah, he's, he needs money. He's gonna say things to fire up the base um, and make crazy comments like that that he doesn't believe because nobody can believe that and and trust and believe. When things go far in the other way, you'll get his true thoughts on on what it is because it's it's egregious. It's an egregious. Uh, uh, a violation of the law by, but in everyone's standard, right? So we have to get to that point. Even for a Florida politician. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not yogic like uh, Mr. Hubbard. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just old, and, and and I'll do the old person thing. You know, historically, we've seen this movie before. We, we've seen this play out, and I think Mr. Hubbard is absolutely right. I think that. We really need to focus on the things we can control. We need to focus on the things we want to do that we need to do. 
we need to be open and welcoming to people from the other side who want to come on board, but we ought not concern ourselves with trying to force them to come on board. Uh, they're where they are because they want to be. They've got free will. They've got mind. They, they, can, they can decide to walk away from that foolishness if they choose to, but they've chosen not to for whatever reasons. And, and, and I'm not going to spend any of my time trying to figure out why they are confused or why they are where they are. They are. But if they want to come on over, I'm welcoming them with open arms. I, I hold no grudges against them. I, you know, I, I, I'm part of the, you know, no permanent friends, no permanent enemies, just permanent interests kind of into the things. So, so if they want to get on board and put their shoulder to the wheel about justice, come on. But if they don't, then they're going to have to deal with whatever the consequences are, because we need to do what we've got to do. And we can't get caught up in making Donald Trump the center of the universe not our universe at least our universe ought to be about peace and justice and we ought to figure out ways to get that and and if if, if that means moving donald trump out of the way so be it but but we're, but it can't be our, our our mission can't be getting rid of donald trump because that doesn't solve anything it's too much other stuff to do that donald trump isn't isn't part of so so i i, I agree that that um uh the, the idea that somehow if if um Democrats, if you will, would have been more moderate in tone or style that they would they would have a, a, gotten a greater reception among so-called Trump supporters is, is just absolute fantasy. It's just not true. It, it didn't happen in after Reconstruction. It didn't happen in the 1920s. It didn't happen after World War II. It didn't happen in the 60s. It didn't happen in the 70s. It's who they are. You know, and believe them when they t show you who they are. Don't wish for them to be something different. You be different. Obama said it. Be the change you want. Be the change you want. Don't ask somebody else to be the change you want. You be the change you want. So Steve Bannon, uh, who dodged federal charges in a charity fraud case, thanks to a last minute presidential pardon uh, from his buddy, uh, former President Trump, must now face the music in New York state court. Because, of course, uh, pardon does not reach state charges. So Bannon, who's 68 years old, surrendered to Manhattan District Attorney um, Alvin Bragg on Thursday. Today, um, a six-count indictment charges the controversial former House White House advisor, Steve Bannon, with money laundering, uh, conspiracy, and scheming to defraud for his alleged role in We Build the Wall, a group that raised at least $15 million to construct a barrier along the border with Mexico. But now... Of course, Mexico is supposed to pay for this wall, right? That aside, <laughs> but skim the donations. Details, details. <laughs> the group publicly told donors its president and CEO, Air Force veteran uh, Brian Colfage, would not be con compensated for his efforts. But Bannon allegedly arranged to pay him by moving money from We Build the Wall through a company he controlled. Colfage previously pleaded guilty in the federal case, and only Bannon was charged by the state today, Thursday. Um, when you look at the, the quote um, <clears throat> from Mr. Bragg, the uh, district attorney, he said, it is a crime to turn a profit by lying to donors. And in New York, you will be held accountable. Uh, as alleged, Stephen Bannon acted as the architect of a multi-million dollar scheme to defraud thousands of donors across the country, including hundreds of Manhattan residents. Uh, Steve Bannon surrendered at Bragg's office a little after 9 a.m. this morning and remained inside throughout the morning pending an afternoon arrangement. Now, this is a guy who prides himself 
in waging a campaign against what he views as the forces of evil that are the left and those progressive factions of politics in today's society. And so he looks at these things and he's, I think he relishes in being this, 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 this champion of the creepiest, darkest corners of the internet where all of these conspiracies just breed and, 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 and are comfortable. And he says, you know, if I'm going to become a martyr as a result of this, if I'm going to show everyone what the deep state can do to somebody, right, who's trying to do something good for a fellow believer, right, in transferring funds from We Build the Wall to help this gentleman out. Uh, I'm wondering if this even bolsters his credentials among his own group and, and further politicizes um, the work that the DA's office is doing in New York as it pertains to not just Bannon or Trump, but anyone in their orbit, um, as we're starting to see investigations uh, turn into indictments. Well, yeah, I mean, look, they, they have to make themselves martyrs or victims, you know, not to get all philosophic because I'm not really a philosopher, but but if you if you make yourself a victim, if if you show that you are you are the victim of unearned suffering that that, that unearned suffering redempt is redemptive it makes you it makes you important and and that's what they want to paint themselves to be completely victimized by a rotten system and they have to embrace the hate they don't they don't push it away they they hug onto it they go yes you hate me because i'm beautiful you hate me because i'm doing something you don't want me to do and and bannon is one of those people who is is very good at that um and um you know i'm it's it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out legally because you know he's sworn to fight it until the end of time and he says he's going to fight it until the last breath in his body and if they kill him that's what's good that's just what's got to happen because he's he's standing in in for all the people out there like him who are victimized by a rotten system and that's a that's a that's a that's a you know that's that's a tough thing to sell in in american uh 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 the, the the public loves that you know it's elmer gantry it's it's all those it's all those you know dirty angels who who say i'm i'm fighting for you you know i may i may look like the devil but i'm really fighting for you you know it's crazy and this is a guy who said once we get the white house back in 2025 you know of if if things go well according to trump world um he said we're going to incarcerate we're going to go after these people uh we're going to you know it's we're going to be ruthless. We're going to be so vicious when we go after these members of the quote-unquote deep state who have uh, persecuted our, our people uh, from, from from because of the January 6th uh, incident and anything else that happened before and between. You know, when you look at uh, how he can gin up support and, and rile people up like this, I'm, you know, curious to see how this results from. I mean, when you look at how other uh, uh, folks in Trump world have went down. You look at Roger Stone, right? I remember when the uh, FBI grabbed him in 2019, I think it was January of 2019 or 2020, uh, when he was arrested. And the response was, you know, this is a very politically motivated um, thing. You know, that was starting, you started to hear the drum beats from Trump world against the FBI at that moment. I'm wondering if we're starting, if this would only intensify further attacks on apolitical institutions um in this case the district the district attorney's office of manhattan 
Yeah, well, wait, well, you got to be careful because the district attorney's office in Manhattan is not apolitical. Oh, neither is the FBI, okay? Right, right. But, but, <laughs> I mean, but they're not but, apolitical. But they, the, they have done a lot of bad stuff over time to a lot of people yeah. who didn't deserve it. Right. My, my mistake. Not not that the DA's office is political, but the theme here is that we're starting to, to see uh, a lot of our people being persecuted, quote unquote, persecuted, right? And so um, I'm wondering if the donations will start flooding in, if the if if the, the, the support will start metastasizing into droves of silent um, um, Trump supporters coming out this midterm election season and in 2024. Um, if you're going to start to see a vengeance, you know, Brad Parscale said even that Trump's motivation for running would be all about vengeance. And you've heard that from from anyone who's been in his orbit. Vengeance seems to be the word of the day, of, of the season for them. I think we're bearing witness to the death of a pathetic ideology um, as manifested through the Trump system. I really do. Right. Like if you have to keep martyr, making yourself a martyr and ginning up with anger, yo, peace and blessings upon you, because that is a delusional waste of energy. I mean, and I'm not saying it's not insignificant, but what I'm saying is that they, they ain't got the juice that they once had. And y'all y'all trying to be like. Y'all's hit album was in 2016 when you won the election. And you are you are trying to like make money off your old album, which just ain't selling. And, and you may get some money off of it, but there is a severe the Democratic and in, Democrats and Independents won in 2020 with a person who seek to sabotage the postal system and during a raging coronavirus um, pandemic, right? So like I don't they still won by millions of votes, right? And so, like, I got to think that, like, as we get to a, le a level of re-engagement with regular canvassing and, like, opportunities to, like, turn voters out, y'all just ain't got the numbers, man. Like, and, and, like, we just have to remind folks that our ideas are, like, the past, the past, a vicious past dies inelegantly. You know what I mean? And the vicious past that these cats represent is dying in inelegant death. Demographics and demonstrate that the America is multiracial, um, a little bit more progressive-minded, um, and not playing this vengeance. Yeah, bring it, homie. I mean, you want to talk about vengeance? Let's talk about like the persecution of black and brown people for a half a millennium. You want to talk about vengeance? Like, I ain't scared of y'all. You know what I mean? So, like, and, and people I rock with ain't scared of you either. So you you can bring vengeance all you want, but we got the numbers. Our ideas are. It's the time for new ideas. And you can talk about that, but you're going to sound as I believe that the Bannons and the Trumps of the world will be the political equivalent of if you put on a minstrel show right now. That used to be the hotness. But y'all, y'all on some vaudeville like ridiculousness now. Good luck with that. I, I, I think Trump runs for reelection for reasons that people aren't giving him credit for. I think the negative would be he could become the first person to lose the popular vote three times in a row. Right. That's never been done. Um, uh, but he's really trying to shield himself from all this, because while he's president, um, he can shield himself from all this litigation. He can put more judges in place uh, to try to affect things at the lower level, uh, earn more favors. Obviously, there's something he has over a Lindsey Graham and people like that, where it's making them completely doing about face by the way they used to talk to him and now becoming an ally and things like that, he would have more leverage. Um, I think what the things that will stop him are some of the things we just talked about earlier, right? Um, 
if it comes out that some of that information that was in those classified documents have been leaked out and it's compromised the U.S. position around the world or uh, given information um, that would put people um, that are in, are in very classified positions in various places at risk or put them at risk or God forbid someone loses or lost their life because of some of that data, um, I think that changes the narrative, right? Does it change it for the rabid Trump fan that loves him no matter what? Probably not. But the, the battle is for the people in the middle. The people on the uh, on the ends, just like we've been talking about, have pretty much decided who, who they're going for. But the people in the middle are who you're fighting for. Yeah, and, and this idea that Trump is someone that we, sh the Democratic Party and those who align with their interests should fear, I resonate with Mr. Hubbard's statements because even when he won, he lost. He lost a popular vote, like you said, Mr. Monkwood. He lost a popular vote. The majority of human beings never supported this man, right? We heard a lot of uh, people say, oh, well, look, uh, Trump actually was the second, um, you know, he, he got the second most votes in American history in the last presidential election. Yeah, but Biden got the first. And and I would just attribute, it, attribute that to the fact that uh, turnout across the board was up. You know, the, the stakes were so high that everyone wanted to make sure that they couldn't, um, you know, leave that election cycle with regret. And so he gave the Democrats the House in 2018. He gave them the presidency and then on his way out the door, gave them the Senate. And now we're supposed he, to be. He ain't give us, we took that, baby. We took <laughs> organized and made that happen. He ain't give us shit. Pardon my candor. But well, what I mean is he got in his own way, basically. And 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 sure, so, sure. um, I'm saying that to say, um, someone with that a track record, you take that same track record and put it on any other politician, and ask them, are you afraid of facing this person again if they run for re-election? They'll say, no, I, I want to run against that person, right? And so, you know, it, it's it, I would think it's to their interest to move on to DeSantis. You start to see Fox News do a, a little bit, um, but in the interest of time, I, I do want to touch on this because South Carolina has made some headways too, and, and that is uh, in the realm of abortion rights. So, so South Carolina Republicans have advanced an abortion bill to the Senate floor, and this bill does not have any exceptions for incest or rape. Um, this past Tuesday, the bill was advanced. The bill's passage in its current form is not guaranteed. Uh, it will still need to be voted on by the full state Senate on Wednesday. Uh, though legislative observers say it is unlikely to pass without the exemptions, the more conservative House adopted a last-minute amendment last week to include such exceptions. And if the Senate's version of the bill is different from what the House passed, it must return to the lower chamber for final approval. The Senate Medical Affairs Committee sent the near-total abortion ban to the Senate floor in a 9-8 to eight vote on Tuesday, with an exception if the life of the mother is at risk. A group of Republicans voted to remove exceptions for incest and rape earlier Tuesday, while Democrats on the committee declined to vote on the amendment to remove the exemptions and what appeared to be a strategic effort to impede the bill's chances of passing. Now, when we look at the, you know, the landscape since the Dobbs decision on June 24th, um, we have seen, of course, Democrats get new wind. We talked about it over and over. But what's interesting is that this abortion situation is not just um, something to help Democrats short-term political chances. You're starting to see people around the world who are diametrically opposed to Americans' interests use the Dobbs decision and use the state legislatures that have acted um, to 
kind of you know condemn and actually turn any argument against any anything they're doing in the realm of human rights on its head. I heard a spokesperson for the Taliban speak to a PBS or CBS reporter this week, and they were asking him, you know, why did you lie about you know the assertions you made before the Afghanistan withdrawal about how you're going to keep women's rights intact and how they will still be able to pursue education and do you know do some of the things that they were accustomed to before the United States completely withdrew. And his response, you know, it, it was to me, it blew me away. But at the same time, it was so simple and straight in my face that I couldn't acknowledge that it was a good point. He said, well, I don't agree uh, with what your Supreme Court did in overturning a woman's right to choose uh, an abortion. You know, we didn't go that far. And I said, you know, oh, my, oh, my goodness. You know, these are the people that we, um, you know, those of us who are in the United States have been accustomed to hearing they're the enemy. They're the villains. Right. They're the ones who are. Uh, you know, represent the darkest forces in the world. And here he is saying, I didn't even go that far as it pertains to taking away a woman's rights. And so we're seeing uh, ramifications all throughout the world. It's, you know, we've been talking about it on this show as it pertains to political benefits and advantages. But this is something that really impacts the world, the America's reputation on the world stage. Um, and, I, you know, I just want to get your thoughts on that. Well, you know, I think... Uh, you know, four guys talking about abortion is never really the best. But I, I, I but, 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 but I, I say, I, I say this. I, I think you know, as someone who comes from uh, a evangelical religion background, I think the rest of the world uh, is not really with us on this position, right? Because when you really think about um, even in the Muslim tradition and um, the Jewish tradition, um, life doesn't begin at conception, right? That's a, that's a that's that's something that they don't agree with. And then when we take it to the point where it's be, uh, such a political issue in the United States, you know, they're looking at us like we're looking at them on the other thing. You're, they're saying women can't drive, women can't um, um, go to school up to a certain age, women must dress a certain way but they have control over their bodies on what they do with with a child. Wow, right? So we're, we're, we're looking at them one way and they're looking at us another way. And in the, in the crossfire is women who have to make these decisions that are gonna affect them, right? So I, 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 I always find it funny that, we you know, these laws keep going up and, you know, after the Dobbs decision, you saw this, you know, I, I, you know, I think Democrats were ready to part with the House and Senate, and they were getting ready for what life is going to be like with only controlling the White House for two years. And when that, when it didn't, when the Dobbs decision came down, everyone started saying, "Whoa, I can't believe they actually did this. This is a, a political gift." And you know, I always say Joe Biden is the luckiest politician God ever made, and I, and I stand on that. But I think that what's happening now is the suburban women are really going to have to make a choice, right? Because it didn't stop at the, at the, at the Dobbs decision now, right? You see all these states going further and further. Now it's, it's, it's going to be nothing. You know, I, even, even uh, the governor of Texas said this week, if a woman gets raped, they should take a plan B. You know, uh, they, you know they, have, they have 48 hours or, or three days to take a plan B. They should do that if they get raped, right? So we're, we're even going to that extreme where, where a politician is comfortable saying that. Right. 
So that's a just I mean, these are softballs into the political sphere where people are just gonna take that and run. That's gonna be an ad in October. That's gonna be an ad the night before the election, just to remind people of the fact that women's rights are are are, are really being pitted away that fast. I really marvel at how the the party of rights and liberty delights in taking rights away from people that aren't rich white men. You know what I mean? And, and you know, very, very few people to say it, say it so explicitly. Um, the Republican Party is um, all about the maintenance of white male patriarchal power um, and access to capital for their self-interest. Capital used to look like us, you know, like um, and anything that threatens their sense of control. Um, it's like, cause one of the things I don't, I don't talk about this publicly much, but like I teach yoga and meditation to the reproductive rights activist movement. Right. So I help them find like peace when their issues are being eviscerated. And what I said to one of my clients was just like, yo, let me tell you the advantage of being black with Southern roots is that like white people always do too much. Like they always overreach. Right. And so like, this is a perfect example of that. Like, I don't, I'm one of the few people on the planet that didn't think that, um, the Republicans taking the House and the Senate was a foregone conclusion because I believe in the demographic shift and it's just an organizing challenge, right? But um, I'm thankful for their their uh, their willingness to do too much because it just further, you know, this in addition to the Trump stuff, um, there are going to be 35% of Americans that are just like, yeah, that's just kind of how this place is. But for people who do believe, you know, I was on a call before I got on with y'all um, with Speaker Pelosi and the, and the, the Congresswoman-elect um, from Alaska. So Alaska um, um, Congresswoman-elect Pelota um, beat Sarah Palin. And she said that um, even with the libertarian streak of Alaska, libertarian means like, don't make choices for me. Right. So I love that the Republican Party is, is making or this iteration of the Republican Party, because similar uh, to I was I was born in the, in the in the church also like hard, hardcore evangelical church. Um, and but like I also love that the legislature keeps one upping because it's awakening. And this is what I said earlier, like it's awakening dormant levels of voters that have never been engaged. You know what I mean? Like the more people wake up, that's what the Republicans if if they had better political strategy, they would like to your point earlier. Um, they Donald Trump wouldn't have been captain do too much. He could have been like he could have talked out of both sides of his mouth and not gone so hard and been president for the rest of his life. But like he couldn't do it because he's tethered to this like I, I'm the best of the worst. And so he he's tethered to this. Um, I gotta be the everything that I want to be um, in, in my interest first. And I think that that's what the hardcore Republican legislatures are. They're so wedded to this one issue that they cannot see what they're doing. And I'm happy for that willful ignorance because it makes my job as an organizer and advisor that much easier. Yeah. And, and the, the other effect that this has is that it actually um, places more focus on the gubernatorial races that we're seeing across yep. the country. So along with the Supreme Court's decision, focusing more attention than ever on um, state legislatures and their actions on abortion. We've seen Republicans get a boost in some places while um, also buoying Democratic hopes of beating back a wave in some of the key presidential battleground states. Um, Republicans have grown increasingly bullish on a quarter, oh, I'm sorry, on a quartet of gubernatorial elections further west, uh, defending their open seat in Arizona, challenging incumbent Democrats 
in New Mexico and Nevada, and most surprisingly, making a strong charge for the open seat in a reliably blue state, that's Oregon, uh, where an independent candidate has scrambled the usual electoral math. Uh, but Democrats still remain largely on defense, with the party either trying to uh, protect incumbents or retain control of open seats in most of the tight battlegrounds uh, in the middle of the country. Now, Politico's forecast says that um, Americans will most likely live in a state with a Democratic governor instead of a Republican chief executive after the 2022 midterms. Uh, but Republicans are going to have more governorships in total. Do you agree with that assessment in light of the fact that, um, you know, look at what happened in Kansas, for instance, uh, a, a very red state where, you know, when, when we look at Kansas and how it's called during presidential elections, no one is surprised about how Kansas turns red. Yet we saw, um, and you know, there was comparisons with Obama 2008 numbers with how many people came out in droves in that state to vote against an amendment that would have uh, prohibited or made it even harder, or restricted even more um, a woman being able to access uh, an abortion. Yeah, the one thing I'll say quickly, and then I'll shut up because I've been talking a ton, is that um, we don't know what's going to happen. We really don't. Like, this is the first election cycle after a pandemic, which everything changed. Like, million people, like, we've had so much psycho-spiritual dislocation as a society. We don't know how that's going to manifest politically. We're just going off old books, and we live in a new age. You know what I mean? And so, like, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it, it is highly likely that, um, the like, like, statistically, majority of Americans will live under a Democratic chief executive because um, that's where the population centers are. Um, but we don't know how like that's going to manifest in like state ledge and all these other things. Like all we need is two more votes in the Senate and then like gerrymandering laws go and, and to keep the house and the gerrymandering laws go away. Like all these things that they've been holding on to go, we just need two votes in the Senate and that's super close. And so we'll see. I mean, the numbers may be that way. They may have more governorships or you, you can keep Wyoming, um, and it's 450,000 people. You can keep South Dakota. You know what I mean? Like, like th there's some of these things that um, I'm more worried about that as it pertains to the Senate as opposed to governorships. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, Mr. Hubbard just talked about this a little bit earlier. You know, they've got to change the, the game. They've got to change the rules of the game in order to stay in control because the demographic changes are an, are an absolute inevitability. And no, it may not be tomorrow or next week, but it is going to happen. They cannot keep this going forever. And and so they've got to change, unless they change the rules to the game, unless they make this a straight up autocracy and decide that there's a class of citizens and then there's these other people who live here, but they aren't citizens. And okay, maybe they can get there. I don't think so, but maybe they can get there. But I think that <clears throat> just like they found out that the energy of the very hardcore minority on the abortion issue was not reflective of the population at large. And there are many, many people who are pro-pro-life, but against government telling me what I got to do. And, and, the, and there's a difference. People who in their own personal life would not choose an abortion, would encourage, encourage people they know and love not to have an abortion, respect the right of someone else to make their own decision enough to say, this isn't the government's business. Now, in a very, very perverse sort of way, 
This is exactly what Alito talked about. Alito said in his opinion, women are a majority of the population of the United States. If they really think these laws in these states are bad news, they'll vote them out and elect new people. He didn't do it for a, 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 an altruistic reason. He did it because he's a complete ideologue, I think. But, but the reality is it's going to change because the American public is not with the radical minority that is pushing an agenda that is driven by their own personal view of the world. And God bless them. I want them to be able to hold that view, but I, I don't want them to push their view on me. I want them to be able to do whatever they feel like they need to do. But I don't want them to make me do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So in the last remaining, oh, go ahead, Mr. Well, yeah, and I, I think I think the this it's a precedent thing also, right? Like especially I have all you lawyers up here. Uh, um, uh, it's a precedent thing to start, right? So uh, what what stops at just this, right? You know, uh, yeah, right. Another, you know, yeah. I, I think Clarence Thomas again with that whole decision and the things he said, I'd never seen anyone shoot themselves in the foot like that. Right. He said, you know, let's, we need to move forward. We need to do other things. We should ban birth control. Um, Thinking about, you know, what, what to do with gay marriage. Like he went down the list of things um, of, of, of what is actually affected by what this decision does as far as precedent. Right. So it's quiet about interracial marriage. You saw that, right? Yeah. And, and, well, yeah, of course. But we'll, we'll, we'll we maybe we, that's another conversation for another day. We should talk about, you know, uh, spouses um, infallibility is what we're we're creating now. Where, uh, and I'll go out on a brief tangent: how Hillary Clinton was guilty of all the sins of her husband, but yet, uh, if you look at on the other end, yeah. you know, his, his his wife can do anything. She can be part of the insurrection. She doesn't have to testify. She can do anything. Nothing matters. So I think we, I mean, look, elections put a mirror in front of your face to see who you are. Uh, I'm hoping that we have a better look or we look a little bit better after this November. Um, uh, That's that's my hope. For sure. So, so Great Britain had, uh, you know, they're going through a lot of changes right now. Um, you had two candidates, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, uh, who were the two most likely candidates to be the next prime minister of Great Britain. Uh, Liz Truss, of course, became the, the person to take the mantle. Uh, like Boris Johnson, her predecessor, uh, the 47-year-old Truss is a member of British, Britain's Conservative Party. Uh, she has served as a member of the British Parliament for 12 years and held cabinet roles within various conservative uh, governments for eight years, uh, serving most recently as the foreign secretary. And before that, she served as environmental secretary and justice secretary. Um, in England, she's seen as a libertarian and she has pledged to cut taxes despite some economists warning the move could send inflation, could move inflation, which is already hovering around 40, a 40 year high in Britain, even higher as the UK teeters on the brink of recession. Um, when we're looking at Liz Truss taking the mantle at this time. Um, it's interesting because um, as she gets down to work and as Britain's new prime minister, she faces an immediate problem. Half the British workforce appears to be going on strike. <laughs> Across the country, real workers, barristers, dockhands, bus drivers, garbage collectors, Amazon employees, and even journalists at the infamously anti-union Daily Express newspaper are working out over stagnant wages in the face of soaring inflation. 
um, not to mention the size of their boss's paycheck uh, packets and the crumbling state of public services. Um, of course, she has someone who has idolized uh, um, Margaret Thatcher. Um, she is the third woman to take the position of prime minister in Great Britain. And of course, she falls in, in the same uh, ideological mold as Thatcher and that she wants to reduce regulation and, and government spending. And um, I want to get your thoughts as to how do you feel as someone like Liz Truss with her kind of ideological background, taking the mantle at a time of inflation um, and taking at a time at such national strike. Um, and then we're also going to get your thoughts on Queen Elizabeth, um, the, long, the longest serving, serving monarch of Great Britain, who took the throne in 1953 and dies at the age of 96, um, who's seen, I believe, one third of American history. Um, anyone can jump in. Well, we'll start with condolences uh, to the royal family in um, England. Uh, you know, uh, the loss of their matriarch is, um, agree with them or not, I think it's it's a sad day uh, for them. So we, we obviously keep them in thoughts and prayer. Um, I will say that it couldn't have come at a worse time, you know, um, with, you know, one, one, one thing that... Uh, uh, people do to exploit holes in changes of leadership and government. And when you have a full scale change of both the actual people in power and then the, and the actual parliamentary uh, government, um, it's a time of, of a little bit of concern for everyone. Uh, I think inflation is, 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 you know, look, we, we, the world just went through a, a huge pandemic, right? So all the levers of the economic powers of the world, are going to keep having to work together to figure out how to get out of that mess, right? It's no different from any anything that's happened in world history before. And I think, you know, the figureheads who are at the top of uh, these countries really don't have as much power as these real economic guys who are setting monetary policy to deal with this um, do in this instance. But, you know, everyone going on, on, on strike, I'm supposed to go to London in a few weeks. I'm hoping um, that it's either resolved or doesn't happen. Um, but I, I think one of the things that we get um, generally from, from things like that is, you know, I think people came out of this pandemic empowered. They want, you know, more control of their lives. They want to live better lives. They want more pay. They don't want to be struggling and working three jobs and stuff like that. So it's up to these countries to really figure out what are the ways that they can help people live life more abundantly. Um, and, and, and what to give back. Some, some of these companies are really upset that, play, that people don't want to return to work and working 40 hours at their desk anymore. And they want to be home by three to do yoga. They want to uh, work, work, work uh, from home um, three out of the, of the five days a week. The companies need to figure it out, right? Maybe that's the best way, you know, um, and, and staggering it um, to keep the economies alive in, in the area. But um, you know, that's not for the people who are already underpaid and overworked to figure out. It's for them to figure out. Yeah, as someone who had a recent loss, and anytime you lose someone or something, like it's a pause for like grace and condolence, um, and also um, truth telling, right? So you know, the United the United Kingdom um, at one point um, held the most was the financier of the slave trade. Um, and held the most property um, and held, held dominion over the most black and brown people in the world. 
and um, Queen Elizabeth oversaw the liberation movements um, in Ghana, um, in Kenya, and all these other places, um, and didn't do right by the people, right? And so, you know, people need to be held accountable for that. You know what I mean? Yeah, longest serving, but you know, I'm, I'm, I, I for one, am not about like. Uh, celebrating uh, co colonial and patriarchal systems. I, I, that's not how Black Hippie gets down, you know? So may she rest in honor and peace, but also may we tell the truth about what the uh, monarchy means um, and what is a legacy of, you know what I mean? It's like Wall Street not talking about finance and the slave trade, you know what I mean? Or like white supremacists, um, you know, what black wealth? Oh, you just, you forgot that you burnt down black Wall Street and told, you know what I mean? Like, so there, it's a time for truth telling writ large. Um, and with respect to the strikes and stuff, you know, I agree with Brother Igwu is that, um, yo, people, I was part of the great resignation um, on the early side. I, I quit my job in 2021 and launched my own gig um, and have been doing quite well. And for people to want to push people into a system that never worked in the first place is a recipe for disaster. And so to your point, I'm hopeful that these leaders become enlightened to the will of the people um, and rather than the cele celebration of capitalism, oh, Jeff Bezos has a trillion dollars. Yeah, but his workers don't have like houses, right? And so like that distortion has got to level out. Otherwise it will bring more disruption um, because people aren't gonna take it anymore. And to your point also, they know that they don't necessarily have to. So blessings um, to the family as they grieve. Blessings to those for whom this is a point of suffering. You know, my Buddhist practice requires me to hold those who are suffering with, with reverence. And also my yogic practice requires me to tell the truth, right? So like may those in power wake up to the fact that they are servants of the people, not exploiters of the people. Um, otherwise we're gonna have a reckoning that none of us really wanna deal with. Yeah, you know, I'm, 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 you know, like any other human, human to human, I'm, I'm sad that the, you know, the queen is gone, and and you know her family suffers the loss of a family member, and that, and that's that's always a blow. But I have never been able to get my mind around the British crown. I, it just makes no sense to me ever. I I don't I don't understand how somebody is royal. What's that mean? I mean, and, and how are you better than me because you, you married so-and-so or your father was ex? I, I don't get that. So um, they need to rethink that, but that's up to them. They, they can work with it if they want to. I, I just choose not to revere them as royalty. I mean, she's a human and she's gone, and that's a sad thing for her and her family. Uh, I, I think the, 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 the challenge, you know, that, that you two have spoken to about uh, about the inequity of, of, of the fiscal inequity in the world, certainly here, but across the globe, is a real challenge for everybody. And, and, and workers driven in a large part by the, by the behaviors caused by the pandemic are really looking at, wait a minute, this thing doesn't work for me. And how can it turn out to work for me? Why is there this huge gap? Why does Jeff Bezos have a trillion dollars and as Brother Hubbard said, I don't have a place to live. What's up with that? Why does that work? Why is it that somehow we are moving to an ersatz uh, royalty of you're better than everybody else because you have a lot of money? Your worth as a human is quantified by the size of your bank, bank account, which is nuts. But but we're 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 
we, we see this sense of privilege, this sense of uh, I have the right, the prerogative to do this because I've got more money than you do. And, and we've really got to fight against that. We've got to resist that. And, and, and we've got to have some kind of reckoning on how much wealth really is enough. Now, I know that's a kind of an antithetical notion uh, in a capitalist society, but really, how much money does one dude need when people are starving literally in the streets? Yeah. And, and you know, I think about how a lot of people have come out and used words like stability, duty, um, a sense of duty to, to describe Queen Elizabeth II's reign. And I think about how, how much geopolitics has rapidly changed um, since 2015, it seemed. Um, not just in, in the United States, but in India with Modi, uh, in Italy, right, in Venezuela. And how the queen, despite that, carried her, her responsibilities, just as she had done before the, the fever of the world seemed to be towards authoritarian rulers, right, and leaders. And so I think about that in juxtaposition to the fact that in 1961, I remember when she did the foxtrot with um, Ghana's president, uh, Nkrumah, at a time when um, I think that was only a few months after a civil rights uh, bus was bombed, right, in the United States. And, and the symbol and the message that that sent to the world that the crown or the, 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 the institution of the crown does not condone racism, or, or, or at least that was a gesture towards showing the world that you know any kind of disdain for those of color is misplaced and, 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 and downright wrong at a time when a black man and a white woman uh, being dancing together on TV would have been seen as you know very risky and very uh, cutting edge and, 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 and you know would have inspired outrage from a lot of people, particularly in the South in the United States. Um, but as it pertains to the new prime minister, it's interesting because, Margaret Thatcher took office in 1979 at a, a time of economic turmoil for England. And there were um, those who questioned whether or not she would have been strong enough to take on um, some of the uh, labor unions that were striking at the time. And one of her first goals was to take on the country's powerful labor unions by making it harder for them to strike. Uh, Britain, of course, was plagued by strikes that regularly shut down huge swaths of the economy. Um, and it made doing business in the country wildly unpredictable. Um, and under Thatcher, the government approved laws that made it tougher to strike. Long work stoppages uh, followed, including an especially bitter strike by coal miners. But Thatcher ultimately prevailed. And she, of course, was friends with American President Ronald Reagan. And just like Reagan, she said about unleashing market forces. She privatized large parts of the economy that would have been under government control since World War II. And I'm wondering if Liz Truss would follow in the same footsteps and enact policies that seem to be in alignment with how Margaret Thatcher handled the economic troubles of Britain um, during the late 1970s, early 1980s. Of course, she famously said pennies don't fall from heaven uh, back then. And she was the daughter, I believe, of a grocer. And so she was someone who had a working class background. And so um, it kind of, I guess, bolstered her credentials among the working class and those who were striking uh, to say, look, I, I'm, I'm one of you, but at the same time, I'm someone that can... Uh, understand how regulations work. And I believe that your striking is doing more harm to the economy than anything, to the country than anything. Um, so it's it's interesting to see how history may repeat itself with Liz Truss. Of course, we don't know. Um, anyone else? Yeah, I'll just offer quickly that um, the the 
coronavirus pandemic stopped the world, right? So the entire world stopped, right? So the economic dislocation that's happening in the UK is also happening in the United States, is also happening in China, and, and, and the world's a little bit more global then. So one can't operate in a vacuum as readily as one might have in the past. That's one. Two is that like um, the... I wish her well um, because who wants to be after Boris Johnson? You know what I mean? Like, so like there's just, it's not just the labor stuff. Like the, in the same way that Trump diminished the respectability of American democracy, Boris Johnson, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not even going to bore everyone with the details or whatever, but like to take office after that, you can't necessarily come in as heavy handed as you would want to. Right, you know, because people don't necessarily respect the office um, as much as they used to. Right, so I wish her well, and I hope that she has good allies on both sides to make it life better for the, the British people. Um, but like trying to force conservatism when there is a counterculture movement globally, good luck with that. Oh, Professor, I think it's going to be a challenge. I mean, obviously, but. You know, I think England is different, very different than than Margaret Thatcher's time, uh, and and I think you know they 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 went through the whole Brexit thing, uh, deeply divided uh, the the population over pro or not Brexit, um, and and so it's very different, and and the, the idea that um, conservatives can sort of bull their way or push their way to their desired goals or objectives it probably is not as realistic as in thatcher's time because because the that there are too many competing forces and and britain has to figure out a way to get out of the the, the burden of the pandemic to deal with the reality of its commitment to nato to ukraine through nato uh They've got a whole raft of things that they've got to talk about. I mean, today they announced that they're going to do more oil drilling and more fracking. Uh, and that's good to announce it, uh, see how it actually happens, because people who made them stop are going to say, wait, 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 wait. We didn't ask you to start this again, lady. Uh, you know, what are you doing? So they've got they've got huge problems. It's a, it's a very interesting country because of its dependence on things coming from outside of England. You know, it's a, it's a real small island, you know, physically, and they need stuff to come from someplace else for them to have the sort of standard living they've become uh, accustomed to. And so it, it's they're, they're much more globally uh, connected than they've ever been before. Um, and it, it's, it's going to be tough. Uh, it, it, that's, you know, it's not just a question of her getting labor in line. Well, Mr. Nwankwo, do you have anything to, you want to add? No, I, I was going to agree with the, both of the gentlemen. They hit it on the head. The world is just a, a, a very connected place now, you know, um, especially for a country that doesn't produce most of what they consume, right? Um, it's not like the United States where you have, you know, you actually have a large swath of land in the middle of our country that is uh, vastly unoccupied, right? So there's actually room to grow. Uh, but over there, they're bursting at the seams. They have a lot of consumption needs. They don't control the world like they once did, you know, where they, you know, like we were saying earlier with imperialism, they were the big fish in the pond, you know, that, that influences 
has dissipated at a, at a rapid rate. So I, I think it's going to take less of them bullying their way or less of saying, you know, conservative going back to the ways of old and more of, of figuring out really innovative approaches to solve the problems of today. Um, and I think that's probably where they'll land. Yeah, the sun used to never set on the British Empire, but uh, <laughs> now. It does now, right. It does now. If I were her political advisor, I would, I would encourage her to come up with a new conservatism and then like start tinkering with policy, right? Like, so we're not old conservatism. This is the new, like, start something new and then throw stuff against the wall, like, and, and see what that looks like. But like, to try to go back to the old, that really, really, that, that, that that's poor. If I were her political advisor, I would like come up with something new and then ride that out. Don't try and go back to anything old. Well, Mr. Hubbard, Mr. Nolcom, and Professor Cook, I, you know, really thought this was, you know, someone described it as insightful. I thought it was an excellent conversation. And in, in light of the uh, Queen Elizabeth's passing, I, a, a, a Facebook status that I saw from a friend of mine, uh, Ethan Zibadaya, who's a regular on the show and comes on and comments all the time. He said the 20th century officially ended today. And, um, you know, I thought about that a lot. Um, you know, she was very much a staple of the previous century and we're very much still new into this century. And she continued the duties um, the same way she did in the 20th century, in the 21st century, with consistency um, and seriousness. But I do want to thank you, each gentleman, for the contributions you made. This was a very um, eye-opening conversation, very multi-dimensional conversation, and I think well-represented conversation with perspectives uh, that were diverse. So thank you each for what you contributed to episode 72. With that being said, I just want to continue to encourage uh, my listeners, my viewers, those who are going to come back and uh, watch the episode and listen to it. Anyway, to tune in on Spotify, uh, Google iPod, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, um, iHeartRadio, the political mic is now available on those platforms. Um, and continue to subscribe on YouTube and, and follow the conversation on Twitter, Facebook. Um, you know, this is a very this is a platform where we want you to have a seat at the table, and we also want you to challenge the sources of of information um, that you um, are connected to, compare them to other sources. Um, and refrain from sketchy sources of news. Thank you all for what you've done tonight. With that being said, I'm going to go ahead and conclude episode 72 of the, of the Political Mike podcast. Thank you all so much.